If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're reading 2 Samuel chapter 12 this morning. We are going to conclude today a series we started earlier this month titled The Case for Contentment. How do we practice Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is not something that we simply say. When we, when we hear the word Thanksgiving, we merely think of words we express of gratitude to someone for whatever it is they have done or gratitude to God for the condition we are in, the state of our lives. But can I tell you this morning that gratitude is more than just words you speak. Gratitude, the Bible teaches us, is a lifestyle you and I are called to live. We are called to live lives of gratitude. Not, not that we only are grateful when things are great in our lives. Even when things are difficult, we have a reason to be grateful. Why? Because God is with us in that midst of that difficulty. Can I tell you this morning that, if, that I would prefer God be with me in the midst of, of struggle than God not be around me in the midst of plenty? I would rather have God in my life, God walking with me, the assurance of his presence in my life, the assurance of his providence, his protection over my life, no matter the difficulty I may be going through, rather than to live a life of, 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 of joy and, 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 and fulfillment and he not be in the picture. God's desire is that you and I walk in constant dependence on him and so when we talk about being content, we're not talking about having things simply going right all of the time, but it is having this assurance in our hearts that we are uh, in, in, a, in a blessed place, in a state of, of, of constant joy and, 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 and gladness and contentment. Why? Because we have Him. So over the last three weeks, we learned the following. One, that genuine contentment comes when we find our satisfaction excuse me, in the sufficiency of God. Our satisfaction doesn't come from how much we have, doesn't come from uh, you know, the how big a house we live in or how fancy a car we drive or how well we are known by others. Our contentment, friends, our true contentment, satisfaction, that being carefree of worry and anxiety what, comes from the, the knowledge that God is sufficient. Uh, Pastor Steve always uses this phrase uh, in referencing God. He says, God is Jehovah Jireh, but this is how he breaks it down. He says, God is Jehovah Jireh. Why? Because he sees my need and then he sees to my need. I am grateful this morning that when I'm going through difficulties or struggles, God is not looking at me and saying, let me see what he's going to do. Let me see what's going to happen. Let me see how it's going to turn out for him. No, God is involved in my life. And so anytime I go through any circumstance, I have the assurance that because I have him, I will have everything that I need to not only navigate through that struggle, but to overcome it as well. In week number two, we learned that unless contentment becomes our daily posture, in other words, a mindset that we embrace. Again, it's not about what's happening you know, in, in, the, in the tangible or physical, but, but is this assurance that because of who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, that we are content. The only way it can become a daily practice is if, is if, if it is first established in our minds that contentment is not based again on what we have or don't have, but is based on our knowledge of God. Now in today's message, I want to talk to you about the danger of having desires that are motivated by a spirit of discontent that left unchecked will always lead us to places we never thought we would ever go. It would lead us to make decisions that we never thought we'd ever make or to do things we never thought we'd ever do. And one, one story that, that, that comes to mind is, uh, I feel, illustrates this point in a very powerful way. 
Um, I came across a story um, about an attorney named A.M. Marty, or nickname is Marty Stroud, of Shreveport, Louisiana, who was the lead prosecutor in the December 1984 first-degree murder trial of a man named Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford was sentenced to die for the murder of a Shreveport jeweler. Ford, on March 11, 2014, was released from prison after the state admitted new evidence proving that he was, in fact, not the killer. But a year after this, March 2015, Mr. Straw wrote a brutally honest apology for the Shreveport Times, and I want you to hear what he writes, because these are his words. In 1984, I was 33 years old. I was arrogant, judgmental, narcissistic, and very full of myself. I was not as interested in justice as I was in winning. Did you hear that? I was not as interested in justice as I was in winning. To borrow a phrase from Al Pacino in the movie and Justice for All, winning became everything. And as a result, Mr. Ford spent 30 years of his life in a small, dingy cell. Lighting was poor. Heating and cooling were almost non-existent. Food bordered on the uneatable. And after the death verdict was handed down, I went out with others. And I celebrated with a few rounds of drinks. That's sick. I had been entrusted with the duty to seek the death of a fellow human being, a very solemn task that certainly did not warrant any celebration. In my rebuttal argument during the penalty phase of the trial, I mocked Mr. Ford, stating that this man wanted to stay alive so he could be given the opportunity to prove his innocence, how totally wrong I was. I apologize today to Glenn Ford for all the misery I have caused him and his family. I apologize to the victim's family for giving them the false sense of closure. I apologize to the members of the jury for not having all of the story that should have been disclosed to them. I apologize to the court in not having been more diligent in my duty. A man who by his own words admitted that he was more concerned about winning than about securing justice. And 30 years later was apologizing and it, 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 it comes across as a very heartfelt apology, but recognizing he made a mistake. Why? Because at a time in his life, he was so content with what others considered to be success in his field that he was willing to look the other way and ignore the truth as long as it meant that he benefited from it. Discontent. When it drives our desires, friends, it will cause you and I to do things that we never thought we'd ever do. And for me in the scriptures, probably the most powerful illustration of this story, of this, of this point, is the story of David. We all know the story, David and Bathsheba. Bible tells us that David, on a time, at a time when kings go to war, uh, now we're not sure if it was a practice for kings to always escort their troops to the battlefield, but... You know, we would figure that as kings, they would have the prerogative to either stay or to either go. But for whatever reason, David chose to stay while he sent his troops out to, to fight. And on one of the days that he was home on his palace, Scripture says he was walking his palace roof. And as he's doing so, he's observing the landscape. He comes across a woman who is taking a bath. And you would have thought that with wisdom, discretion would have suggested, this is somebody's privacy I'm violating, I need to step away. David instead stays there and he begins to just stare and he begins to lust after this lady to the point that he inquires after her. 
And when he does inquire after Bathsheba, he is told this woman is married. Now you would have thought that the fact that she was married would have been enough for David to say, you know what, she's no go. But the scripture says David went further to even have her brought to his home, to which he then slept with her. And when she went back home, later on received news that Bathsheba was now pregnant. And the Bible says that David, in his mind, begins to wonder, what am I going to do to hide this? Because again, think about this. This is the man that the scripture describes as a man after God's heart. And yet, in this moment, he is doing what even he probably could not have imagined he would ever do. Scripture says that not only did he impregnate this woman, but now he's trying to figure out how he's going to cover up what he has done. And in the process, he ends up taking her husband's own life, setting him up so he could die, so that he could then bring her into his home and take her as his wife. And as far as David was concerned, nobody was any the wiser for what he had done. Maybe except the folks who were serving him and were having to follow his instructions. But David literally believed he had concealed his sin. But God showed him otherwise. That, that when you and I do what we should not do, even if nobody else around us is aware, God is aware. And God will not let us get away with sin. God is so just in his way. That he will not overlook sin. God will never excuse sin. God forgives sin. And I'm grateful that he forgives sin. I'm grateful that God gives you and I the opportunity when, when we recognize that we have sinned against him, we've offended him, that we go to him in repentance and we say, God, forgive me. I have messed up. I have, I have offended you, God. Have mercy on me. Change my heart, oh God. God responds to the heart that cries out to him in, in honest and, and, and sincere repentance. But a heart that tries to conceal sin, God will not follow along. And the scripture shows us in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, what God does in response to what David did. If you can't read with me, and the words are on the screen, you can follow along as I read as well. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said, There were two men in a city, the one wealthy the other poor. The wealthy man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nurtured. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat scraps from him and drink from his cup and lie in his lap. And he was, and was like a daughter to him. Now a visitor came to the wealthy man and he could not bring himself to take any animal from his own flock or his own herd. Let me pause for just a moment and, and just th again think of the audacity of this man. That he would have a guest and he could not bring himself to take one from the many he had. And somehow in his mind justify taking the only thing that somebody else possessed. Scripture goes on to say that he prepared that one lamb for his traveler who had come to him. He took the poor man's ewe, prepared it for the man who had come. And in verse 5, David's anger burned greatly against the man. Oh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see David's face. I would have loved to see David get angry. Of course, hindsight is 2020. I'd probably be the fly if I could talk. Like, you are the guilty guy. If I could, right? But the thing was, David's response to hearing this story, it elicited anger within him. David thought it was a true story. 
He actually thought that this had actually happened. So the scripture says in verse 5, His anger burned greatly against the man and he said to Nathan, As long as God lives, the man who has done this certainly deserves to die. The same man who has done wrong is now eager to cast judgment on somebody else. Look at what he goes on to say. So he must make restitution for the lamb four times over since he did this thing and had no compassion. And verse 7, Nathan then said to David, You yourself are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. It is I who appointed you as king over Israel. And it is I who rescued you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and put your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like this. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck and killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife as your wife, and you have slaughtered him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now then, the sword shall never leave your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. This is what the Lord says. Behold, I am going to raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and in open daylight. And of course, you know, verse 13 says, Then David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against God. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has allowed your sin to pass. You shall not die. However, this deed you have shown by this deed excuse me you have shown utter disrespect for the lord the child himself who is born to you shall certainly die and of course we know the story beyond that the child did indeed die and the the judgment that god had pronounced against david against his household was fulfilled in the decisions and the choices that some of his children would make and others would make um And of course, it was also part of the reason why God said David was not going to be the one to build that temple that Solomon eventually built for him. We're talking about decisions or desires that are motivated by discontent. And we've learned, you know, that that again, contentment is not something that we define based on what we have or don't have. It's 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 coming to a state where you just where you're grateful for for where you are. You're grateful for what you have. You're grateful for what you've been able to do. Why? Because you recognize that all these things you've experienced all came by God's hands. And, and it's not, again, as I said last week, that you don't aspire to improve yourself or to be better. But it's never from the, from the standpoint of feeling as if, if I don't have more, I'm not happy. If I don't accomplish more, I'm not fulfilled. If I don't do more, if I'm not better than so-and-so, then I'm not content. No, that's not what God calls us to. God calls you and I to come to a place in our lives where we are, where we are content with who we, we, where we are. Why? Because He is the one that's making provision in our lives. And we have that confidence that whatever I need for tomorrow, God will provide. That as He has provided in the past and He's providing today, what I need for tomorrow, He will make available to me. And that I should not make it the purpose of my life to constantly be grasping for more and more and more, thinking that it is the more that will make me happy. There is nothing, friends, that would ever make you and I happy more than God. Why? Because we were created for Him. 
We were created to please him, to worship him, to honor him. And so we, if we are walking outside of our fulfillment of that purpose, where we are not in constant awareness of our walk with the Lord, then friends, we are not, we're never going to be content. There is no amount of money you will have that will make you happy. There is no, there is no amount of recognition that you will gain that will make you happy. I mean, you have to, you, you, you only but look in the news and you hear headlines of people who are successful in the world's eyes, but they are discontent. They're unhappy. They're unfulfilled. They're constantly grasping for more and more and more because they somehow think that it is more that will make them fulfilled. There are four lives that I want to share with you this morning that I see expressed in David's actions that I, I hope you would take away this morning as, as a warning to not allow discontent to be the motivation for your pursuit of, of happiness. Four lies that fuel David's discontent. The first lie is this. David believed that he, rather than God, was his ultimate benefactor. David had enjoyed tremendous success. In fact, to this day, he is still considered the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. I mean, no one is, is revered more in that nation's history than David is. And yet, in this moment, we see David, by his actions, demonstrating that he had forgotten, he had lost sight of the fact that it was God that was his provider. That all of the success he had enjoyed to this point, it was because God had made it happen. That it wasn't because he was this mighty warrior, even though, yes, he was a skilled warrior. It wasn't because he was this brilliant strategist, even though, yes, he was. But, but all of these things, all of the success he had enjoyed was because of God. And so, to, to come to a place where you become so focused on on, on your own satisfaction, your own happiness, it's because you've forgotten that it is not, it is not your happiness that, that is simply the purpose for which you and I are called to exist. That you and I are called to exist, to, 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 to live out the purpose that God has for us. To respond to Him. Why? Because we exist for Him. I want to read to you Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8. And this, the prophet paints, is a picture of the, 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 the role um, of, of God in being benefactor to everyone who puts their trust in him. Hear, hear what he says in verse 7. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. So in other words, you're not only trusting God for what he does for you, but you trust him. In the same way that as, as children, you know, we could, be, we could be in the midst of strangers, but once we see a familiar face, perhaps the face of a parent, a mom or a dad, we would run to that person. Why? Because we found comfort in that person's presence. Even if they didn't do anything for us, but the fact that they were with us, they were present among us, brought such a sense of comfort and joy. So the, the writer, the, the prophet is saying that, that those who put their trust in what God does, but also put their trust in God himself, are considered blessed. And verse 8 goes on to say, For he will be like a tree that is planted by the water, that extends its roots by a stream, and does not have to fear when the heat comes, because its leaves will always be green. Why are they always green? Why? Because they are constantly tapped to the river of life, the one that brings life, the one that sustains it, the one that nurtures it, the one that gives it life. And so will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. God is painting for us this picture that every success you and I enjoy is not simply because we are smarter or because we are more talented or because we are greater than somebody else. It is because of Him. It is His providence that is at work in our lives. And so we must never lose sight of the fact that God is yours and my ultimate benefactor. That everything that I need, God will provide. Everything that I require, 
to fulfill the purpose that he has for me, he will give me. And to not, and to not constantly grasp after things that we think or we hope will make us happy when God says it is not part of what he wants for us. David believed the lie that he rather than God was his ultimate benefactor. The second lie he believed was the lie that his standing afforded him the right to do as he pleased. David saw himself as king. And perhaps, you know, in that culture, it was not unusual for a king to have many wives, to take in many wives. And so David saw, you know, this, this, the, his kingship has afforded him the right to be able to bring into his home whoever he wanted to. But the, the reality was he had no right to Bathsheba. She was a married woman. She was somebody else's wife. And yet the scripture suggests that David probably in his own pride and his own arrogance thought to himself, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. I can have whoever I want. Such that he would bring this woman into his home and sleep with her. And in doing so, offend God. In the same way, it is very easy for us and there are many believers who struggle with this, where in our minds we have this perception. And Paul addresses this throughout his letters, his various letters in the New Testament. He addresses this issue of recognizing that, that the grace that God has extended you and I, while it has afforded us this great privilege of being called sons and daughters of God, does not afford us the freedom to do whatever we want. You know, there are many believers who think, well, because I'm forgiven, because I can, you know, I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb, that it means that, that it doesn't matter what I do, what I say, how I live, that it is all covered by the blood is the phrase they use. But the reality, friends, is this. Paul says it, and it is true. It is, it, we, we shouldn't see the freedom that we enjoy in Christ as a freedom to do whatever we want to do. It is a freedom to live out the purpose that God has for us. Because before you and I came to Christ, sin kept us from recognizing God's purpose for our lives. Sin kept us from embracing God's purpose for our lives. But when we come to faith in Christ, now we are free to live the purpose that God created us for. But we must never ever see our standing in Christ as a license for us to do what we ought not do. To suggest, well, and, you know, I, I, I'll do it this time and I'll just act out for forgiveness. Friend, you are trampling, as Paul says, grace underfoot. You are taking it for granted. As it were, it would be as if you were nailing Christ on the cross once again. Because, because you, you have failed to, to, to recognize the value of the sacrifice that was paid to secure your freedom from sin. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5.13. You were indeed called to be free. Everybody say free. free. Free, brothers and sisters. And so he says, this freedom that you've been given is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a precious gift. It is, it is a sacred gift. And so because, because of this, this gift called freedom you've experienced, you cannot then use this freedom to express corrupt nature. He, he, his exact words are, don't turn this freedom into an excuse for your corrupt nature to express itself. David did this. David loved God. I, I, I don't regard that in this, in this situation David backslid. That's not what we see here. But in, in, a, in a moment where he allowed his desires to, 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 to cause him to do something that he never would have imagined doing, David ended up acting in a way that demonstrated that he felt like he was free to do whatever he wanted to do. And we must be very, very careful that we don't cross that line ourselves. If you ever find yourself justifying or excusing something that you know is wrong, Friend, it's a line you're about to cross. Do not cross it. Again, God forgives. 
But the forgiveness, the, 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 the availability of forgiveness is not permission for us to do what is wrong. I remember I used to grow up hearing the phrase, you know, some people would say it's better to ask for uh, forgiveness than to ask for permission. It is a wrong attitude. Do not, if, if that's your mindset, do not do that at school. If, if, if you're doing that at work, stop. You, you should never have the mindset of if, if, if it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. No, if you know what you should not do, don't do it. In fact, the Bible says to him who knows to do right but does not do it, it is what? It is sin. It is sin. And so God wants you and I to come to a place where we recognize that there is never a good excuse for sin. There is never justification for us to do what violates his instruction to us. But if we do so, it's because we have bought this lie. We may not realize it, but we've bought into this lie that our standing affords us the right to do as we please. The third lie David believed is a lie that he knew better than God what was best for him. Again, David was not a new believer. He was not a baby in, in his walk with the Lord. This is a man who has walked with the Lord probably at this point for many decades. And yet, in this moment, he thought to himself, knowing fully well that if he was to take this woman to be his wife, knowing that she, or to, to sleep with her, to commit adultery with her, uh, that he would be violating God's requirements, God's instructions, he still did it anyway. I heard a preacher say just a few, a few days ago that sin, friends, it, 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 there, there are multiple steps to sin. We don't just wake up one morning, a person doesn't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to backslide today. What happens is, 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 is momentary steps that we take, compromises that we make, where we begin to justify things we should not justify. We excuse things we should not excuse. We overlook things we should not overlook. And we now find ourselves in a place where we're making a decision that we never thought we'd ever make. All because, again, we thought we knew better than God what was best for us. And I'll be honest with you, there have been many times in my own life where, where I can look back and say, you know what, God, there were things that I did that I knew I should not do. But in that moment, I thought, I'm going to do this because this is what I think should be done. This, you know, you, we, we, we look at this idea of the end justifying the means. If, if we truly say that we're dependent on the Lord and that we're, we're trusting him to lead us and to make a way for us to open doors for us that nobody can close, then we must learn, friends, to also trust that he will make a way for us to be able to experience the things that we desire. How many times we, 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 we compromise because, again, we're, the world suggests to us that it's okay. Everybody does it. And, 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 when, and when everybody embraces that, that path, this is the result. And, and if you do the same, you, you experience the same. And, and again, if we are saying we truly trust God, are we willing to trust that God's way is going to be better than what the word is suggesting we should do? Again, the Bible says, Proverbs 3, verse 7 and 6, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. But he says, instead, acknowledge God. And what would he do? He will direct. Directing your steps, your path, doesn't only mean that God will tell you what to do, but also God will raise the people that he, needs, that he wants to use to help you, to help move you along in his purpose and plan. God will open up opportunities that he wants for you to take in, in, in pursuit of his purpose and plan for your life. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't bring us, to a, bring us on a journey and then leave us halfway to fend for ourselves. If we say we trust God, we must learn to trust him fully and completely. And part of that involves not assuming that at any point in our journey that we know better than God what's good for us or what's best for us. Again, when you find yourself drawn to do things that you know you should not do, that's when you run to the Father and say, Father, 
This is what I feel I should do, but yet I know it violates your standard. God, lead me. God, I feel like there's a roadblock in this aspect of my life. God, give me favor. God, open doors. God, help me to trust your timing. That's, that's what God seeks from us. That's how we demonstrate that, that we are content. Why? Because we look to him to offer the direction that we need. I want, you, I, want you, I want you to hear what the prophet says, Isaiah chapter 55. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When you read a scripture like that, why would we ever think that we know better than God? And yet we act like it. I'll be the first to admit it. And many times I've acted as if I knew better than God what was best for me. Or, or, or acted as if God really didn't have a, want to have a say and he had left it up to me to decide what was right in my own eyes. No, no. God wants you and I to trust him with everything. And while it is a hard thing to do, friends, it is a, it is, it is, it is a decision that will bring great benefit. If we will learn to just simply trust him. And here's the last thing, that, the last lie that David believed. He believed that his desires were justification for his disobedience. How many times have you and I done the same? Again, not, not speaking to condemn, because if, 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 if the point is to condemn, then I stand first to be condemned. But the reality is, is these are things that we must pay attention to because they, they, are, they, they, are, they, are, they are things that, that they, they creep subtly into our lives. Sometimes we do these things and we don't realize what we are doing. We don't realize the message we're sending. We don't realize the, the, the mindset that we are communicating or that's being expressed through our actions. David believed this lie that his desires were justification for his disobedience. Again, if you were to ask David, David is, 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 is staring at a naked lady that is taking a shower on a rooftop appropriate? He would have probably said to you, no. Okay, David, is, is bringing her to your home or inquiring about her and being told she's married? And, and yet you still brought into your house. Was that appropriate? He would have said, it was not. Was sleeping with her appropriate? It was not. Was trying to cover up her pregnancy appropriate? It was not. Was trying to have her husband set up? Was it appropriate? He would tell you it was not. Why? Because David understood what God's word instructed him to do. He understood what, what, what pleased God, what displeased God. And yet the scriptures show us that for whatever reason, he justified his disobedience to God. He excused it in his mind, it was okay. And again, I want to remind you, in the same way that, that God responded to David and made it clear to David that, that there was no excuse for what he had done, there's another example in the scripture in the, in the previous book, 1 Samuel chapter 13. King Saul, remember that story where the scripture says he was supposed to go to war and it was the responsibility of Samuel the prophet to offer sacrifices, thanksgiving to God as they were getting to go into battle. And the scripture says that Samuel delayed in returning and Saul started to get nervous. He started to feel like, well, the soldiers are getting antsy. They're wondering, where's the prophet? What's going on? Are we, is God really with us as we head into this, this fight? And so Saul did what he should not have done. Why? Because in his mind, it's okay. I can do it. And when Saul, Samuel arrived and saw the, saw the scripture shows us 
engage Samuel almost to suggest, hey, dude, I, you know, I, I, you know I, took, I took care of business for you. You know, we're good to go. Samuel's response in verse 13 was this. You have done a foolish thing. Saul thought that he was justified in doing what he knew he should not, was not his place to do. Again, we all have those times in our lives where we can remember justifying something we knew we should not do, but we found a way to excuse or to convince ourselves that it is right, that, that I have no other option, I have no other choice, I have to do this, and we do it anyway. Saul justified his disobedience, and Samuel's response to Saul was, what, what you've done, Saul, is foolish. You did not follow the command. Everybody say command. And what was the command? Again, that he was to wait for the prophet to come and to offer the sacrifice. It was a very simple instruction. As a parent, sometimes I get, I get upset with my kids. I'm like, I, I gave you a simple instruction. What part, of what, what part of what I said did you not understand? Right? We get frustrated with, with others when we feel like they don't follow instructions. So you can get a sense in the prophet's words to Saul that, that he, you know, he, he's upset for Saul because he feels like God gave you a very simple instruction. Why could you not follow what he asked you to do? And look at what he says. If you had, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel permanently. Permanently. I mean, how would we remember Saul today if Saul was one who knew what God called him to do and he simply did it? And he trusted God with the outcome. That when he was tempted to justify sin, that he said, you know what? No matter how much I want to justify doing this, it is still wrong. I cannot do it. I just have to wait. If God wants to delay, let God delay. If God wants me to go a different path, let him go a different path. I will not do what he has commanded me not to do. How different would Saul's story be today? Would, would we remember him as the, the king who was known for being rejected by God? Or would we remember him from something totally different? Hear what the Lord said. If he had obeyed, he would have been established, his kingdom, excuse me, would have been established permanently. But all because he justified his disobedience. Again, the warning to you and I is this. And again, we're talking about discontent, driving or motivating our desire to pursue more so that we are discontent or we're, 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 we're not content with where we are or what we have. When we, when we do not learn to trust God and we trust his timing and trust his will, we will do things we should not do. Perhaps that's been your experience. Where maybe, <coughs> excuse me, where maybe you, you, you've made decisions and you feel like, you know what, if I had to do it over again, I would have done different. God, if I could just go back in time, I, I would do things different knowing what I know now. And, and I'm, I'm grateful this morning, friends. The Bible makes it clear to us that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God's desire isn't for you and I to simply wallow in the guilt of past mistakes and choices and decisions we've taken that, 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 that took us a path on, on a path that we, didn't, we, 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 wish, we wish we're never on. God gives us the opportunity to come to him and to say, God, I, I, I've messed up. I, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But God, going forward, I'm, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to follow your lead. And that's the opportunity that you and I have, not only today, but every single day. Because, because we, we, we won't always get it right. Do you understand that this morning? You're not always going to get it right. Sometimes you're going you're to do things you know you shouldn't do, but you did anyway. And you're looking back in hindsight and you wish, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gone there. Thank you, Brother Joe. 
I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have responded that way. But, but thank God for his grace that is available to us so that going forward, it can be different. It can be different. So, so let us take the cue from David. Let us be careful those things that we are allowing to drive our desires. If it's discontent, friends, it will take you to a place you, do not, you never thought you would ever be. You will make decisions that you never thought you'd be making. Again, sin never, st- it, 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 there's no, there's, there's, there isn't one step to sin, it is multiple steps. And we have got to allow the Holy Spirit to be that constant instructor, that teacher, that guide in showing us how we are to walk. So that as we walk in obedience to him, we are able to experience his, his best for our lives. Your greatest defense against discontent, brothers and sisters, is to yield your desires to God. Not only those good desires, friends, but even more so, those desires that you know you shouldn't have. You know, it's, 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 it's much more than just simply saying, get thee behind me, Satan, as if it's like a cliche phrase. No, you go to God and you say, God, I have this desire. I'm drawn to do this, to say this, to act in this way, but I know it does not please you if I was to give in. And God, I don't want to displease you. I don't want to do that which is going to bring regret or pain or sorrow in my life or in the lives of others around me. God, give me wisdom. God, point me in the right direction. Teach me what to do. Teach me how to go. Teach me how to live. Teach me how to respond to this situation. And friends, trust me when I say this. When you cry to your Heavenly Father, He is ready. He is ready. He is willing to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, to order yourself. Why? Because he wants you to walk in his will. God is, listen to me, friends. I mean, sometimes we may have this perception that God is playing games with us. He is not. God wants us to walk in his will. He wants us to experience his best. He wants us to experience his purpose. He wants us to experience his plan. But to do so, we have to do it his way. We have to trust his lead. We can't, we can't presume to know better than he does. We can't assume that God, well, if I don't take matters with my own hands, if I don't look out for my own self, no. God wants you and I to trust him and entrust in him to obey him. So on our way to heaven, I want to challenge you with this thought. We're talking about contentment, right? Being pleased, being happy, having a sense of joy and satisfaction from what God is doing in your life, from who he is and from his provision in your life. My prayer is that God would help you and I to walk in that every single day. It's not easy, but it is doable. And it is doable because we learn to lean on His Spirit.